With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, March 20th. Hey, welcome to spring. Fantastic, right? Except that it's March and really for the next at least, I don't know, three weeks or so here in the Northeast and maybe six weeks, it's still going to be stinky weather. It's going to be one day where it's great and then we're going to go sliding back and it drives me insane. However, to put me out of my bad March mood because I hate the month of March is a fantastic guest. I teased it yesterday and I have a big smile on my face because recidivist guest Cal Newport is joining us this weekend. Cal has written a whole bunch of books. You may have read some of his great long form stuff in The New Yorker. I met him or encountered him for the first time when I read his book called Deep Work. And then he wrote a follow-up book that's called Digital Minimalism. He came on the podcast. His newest book is called A World Without Email. Get it? All right. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation. It's Cal Newport here on the Jill on Money Show. Uh, I want to jump into your new book, which, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours. I loved deep work. I loved digital minimalism. And every time I talk to you, it spurs me to do something different, but then I slide back into my old habits. So this is great timing. The new book is called A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload. And you start the book with a, a story about Dark Tuesday in the administration of President Barack Obama. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and why you started the book with that? Well, it was a task force that the Obama administration had pulled together, and it was under, I believe, maybe it was the Department of Commerce. And so this, this group gathers together in Washington, D.C., and I, I profile Nisha Shara, who was running this group. He came down to run this group, and a computer virus hits them almost immediately, the Department of Homeland Security comes in and says, all right, everyone, we need to take your computers because I guess it's a security threat or something like this. Oh, and by the way, because of government secrecy rules, you can't use your own computers. So no, no using private email accounts, no using your private laptops. You basically just can't have access to government email until we fix this problem. And it took them six weeks. So it was this interesting natural experiment where it was a typical high-powered DC government style, I'm on my BlackBerry and smartphone all hours of the day, you know, Veep style hypercommunicative situation where this natural experiment where they say, now we're going to take your email away for six weeks unexpectedly. And what was interesting about this story is that although there were things that were a huge pain, for example, coordinating with the White House because they weren't on the email threads about what was going on and when the meetings were, they actually got 
a lot more of the important work done because Nish had to start traveling to the offices of the people they were going to be working with and he had nothing else to do. So he would just sit there with them for hours and really learn, hey, what's going on? What do you need? Why have things failed in the past? And during those six weeks, because of all this extra white space, he called it, they came up with the big ideas that that task force ran with for the years that followed. And there was no lamenting of like, oh, gosh, I missed the 400 extra emails every few days that were like nudging me. I think this is instructive because, you you know, obviously it's a different time because this happened, you know, more than a decade ago. But if this were to happen right now amid COVID, you wouldn't be able to go into someone's office. So let's say that that exact scenario were to occur at Georgetown where you teach and you no longer have email and you're not in your office. Tell me what what would replace the email template and the way of communication in a, a world where many people are working from home? Because I think a lot of people will continue working from home. What would happen? Well, to me, the the deeper question is not what tools you use, but what are the processes by which you collaborate and get things done? So the one process that most of us just deploy by default is what I call the hyperactive high find, which is let's just rock and roll messages back and forth, Slack and email. We'll figure things out on the fly. So the key is replacing that with other ways of coordinating that does not require a lot of unstructured back and forth messaging. Now, the tools you use to do this are somewhat uh, non-consequential. So, you know, if you're on the phone or in a Zoom meeting or you just have a system set up with shared drives, like I'll put this document here by this time, you pick it up, I'll put my edits in the next day, whatever tools you're actually using. The thing that gets us towards a world without email is saying back and forth, unstructured, unscheduled messaging is not the best way in most cases to actually coordinate. So we have to replace that with a specific alternative and the tools can shift. And in some sense, it's almost not so important what the tools are. Essentially, what you're saying is that this form of communication called email, which, you know, I get it, as you say, low friction communication at scale, like throws this stuff out there, but we spend more time managing our work than doing our work. How much time are we spending managing this thing called this monster called email? The data set I like the best shows that we're checking our inboxes once every six minutes which I think is just absurd. And then the other data point I want to put out there, and this is, this is like, it's like a Kafka play and we, we're, we just aren't realizing this, is the, just the reality that for more and more people, they now spend their entire workday in meetings and doing email, forcing them to do their actual work in these hidden second shifts, like early in the morning or in the evening. And we just sort of shrug our shoulders like, yeah, it's a fast paced world. It's not a fast paced world. That's absurd. The inmates are running the asylum. We've spiraled out of control. The overhead of talking about work has gotten to the place where we can't actually do any work anymore during the workday. I think there's a huge problem. And we were much too quick just to look around and say, like, I guess this is just what work is in a high tech mm. age. And I really disagree with that. I think we're in the early stages of figuring out how to do work in a digital world. And what we're doing now is going to embarrass us 10 years from now when we look back. Part of this is like this strange way that our brains have adapted to this world. Okay, I owned a dog 20 years ago. I would walk my dogs. I had a Blackberry, but I never checked it while I was walking the dogs. I might listen to at the time, which was some sort of like, I don't know, like an iPod. And now I walk my dogs and I am compulsively checking my email while I walk my dogs. Why do I do that? What is going on in my brain that's making me do that? Well, one of the key points here is that I think we're too quick 
the place to blame on the individual. You know, well, we just we check it too much. We shouldn't. We should have better inbox habits. You know, we should batch our inbox checks. But part of what I document is that it's actually a rational behavior because our organizations as a whole have increasingly embraced this hyperactive hive mind workflow, I call it, as the main way that everything gets done. Mm. So the main way that everything gets done now in the modern knowledge work setting is back and forth, ad hoc, unstructured, unscheduled messaging. And if that's the way that everything gets done, that means that any one day there might be a dozen different asynchronous back and forth conversations going on that you're a part of and you have to tend. That means you have to monitor this inbox essentially constantly because you need to see when one of those messages come in, you have to ping it back for that process, whatever's being discussed there to keep moving forward. And so what I really argue is this hyperactive hive mind forces us to have to look at the inbox all the time, which is why any attempt to say, well, just have better habits as an individual, just you know, check it less, have email free Fridays, that's going to fail. We have to actually replace the underlying processes that are generating all those messages in the first place. And it's so funny because, you know, I'm so compulsive about it because I'm, I work in a news organization and that is essentially like, oh, you know, this is how we communicate. Now, I will just tell you from the CBS News part of this, there's just like way too many emails that go out. Like you're, I'm on a thousand lists. And even if you are checking obsessively, it's easy to miss it when there's so much crap coming through. Like I don't really need to see our correspondent in Italy tell me that she's filing something about vaccines right now. You know what I mean? So it's like we've done a terrible job of managing the tool that we have, and it is the expectation that you have to constantly monitor it. So tell me how that could change in an organization that is already fully entrenched in that mode. You have to get below the inbox, right? We can't solve this problem in the inbox itself. We can't solve the problem with norms. We can't solve the problem with expectations about response time. We can't solve it with better personal productivity. We have to go down and be specific about here are the actual processes that execute in our organization. These are often implicit. We don't name them, but they're there. There's the filing the story process. There's the finding out about breaking news process. There's the, you know, getting the paperwork that the HR department needs process. They're there. And we implement most of these right now with just rock and rolling in inboxes because it's easy and it's flexible and it's convenient. And we also have this autonomy trap, which is a whole other issue. If we're going to solve the problem, though, we have to actually take these underlying processes and say, wait, what's the best way? How do we actually want to, for example, file stories? And then you can say, is there a way to do this, a set of rules we can agree on, a process, whatever procedure that doesn't require seven or eight back and forth asynchronous messages? And then you repeat process after process. And what happens is, is you take a lot of this asynchronous, ad hoc, demanding back and forth interaction, it comes out of your inbox and it gets consolidated into set times when it's discussed or set systems that don't require discussion. And the pressure really reduces and your inbox begins to transform. The companies that have done this, it transforms from this hive mind at the center of everything to a very convenient form of the mailboxes we used to have in a pre-email day. Oh, I'll check this once a day because it was a nice way for you to send me that report instead of having to put it into a memo folder. And that makes all the difference. One of the other stats that really did blow my mind, the longest interval that each user worked with no inbox checks or instant messaging. So by the way, all these people like, oh, we have instant message. It's Slack. It's, it's no better. It's the same crap. Okay. That was just me. Sorry. Okay. For half of the user's study, the longest uninterrupted interval was no more than 40 minutes. The most common length checking in 20 minutes. More than two thirds of the users never experience an hour or more of uninterrupted time during 
the period studied. That really makes it difficult to do any sort of thoughtful work. Here I am, I'm on the the air with you and I'm conducting this interview. I have my back to my screen because I don't want to see any email messages coming in. I've turned my phone to do not disturb. I'm super focused. But, you know, when I'm sitting by myself and I'm trying to write an article that's on deadline, it's harder for me to do that. So that uninterrupted time, which you think you could manage yourself, you're saying it has to organizationally happen. I can't do it myself. A, it is crucial. I mean, we'll just establish that. I I went deep on this topic of why checking these inboxes all the time kills us. And it is just terrible for our brains. Our brains can't do it. We cannot do these quick checks of inboxes and then come back and try to actually think productively. Because when we see that inbox and we see 100 messages and 99 of them we can't answer right now, and they're from other people and people in our tribe and people we care about, you have all of this context switching that starts happening in your brain. And then when you wrench it away from that, leaving all of those things unresolved and try to return to the article you're writing or the decision you're trying to make or the conversation you're trying to have, a big part of your brain is still stuck on trying to what it was looking at before. And it's why we feel exhausted and it's why we feel miserable and why we feel anxious and feel like we have a hard time getting work done. We simply can't work that way. It's basically like a torture chamber we've created. We've made it basically impossible to actually do our work and then say, okay, now try to do that work. Like work in an environment where our brain really can't do the work. And I, I don't know why, why we've settled with it. But to get to your original question... There are things you can do as an individual, but yeah, ultimately, this is not a problem of inbox habits. It's a problem of processes. And ultimately, these processes, this is a team or organization-wide conversation that has to be had. Here is how we do X. Here's how we do Y. Here's how we do, do Z. And those answers need to acknowledge that our human brain can't check an inbox every six minutes. And so we have to find a way to collaborate that doesn't require this constant back and forth, ad hoc, unstructured digital messaging. We used to do it until about 20 years ago. We can do it again. It's hard, but work is hard. <laughs> you know, that's kind of by the mm. definition. It's like nothing about work is easy, but we're all going to be better off if we can do that. I remember when we talked about digital minimalism, you explained the myth around multitasking. So can you just do a refresher? Because, you know, you just you just touched on it, but why is it that our brains can't really do this? What's happening? The term is network switching, and network switching is expensive. You know, so our, our brain is relatively sequential. It assumes we're going to be doing one thing at a time, and then when we're done with something, we're going to turn our attention to the new thing. And it takes some time to switch your attention from one context to another. Certain neural networks have to be amplified. Certain neural ne- networks have to be inhibited. It's kind of a complex process. Uh, I get into it in this book. It's sort of interesting, actually, the history of neuroscience. They they began working on this in the 1920s when they had no idea what was happening in the brain, but they would do these experiments where they would have you do tasks and they would time how long it took for you to do the task, like adding seven to every number in a sequence. Then they would have people interleave two tasks. Like, okay, interleave adding seven to every number and doing the alphabet backwards or something like this. And they would measure with clocks very wow their people are much slower when they have to keep switching back and forth between two different tasks so they, they they used to do this with clocks and then we got you know mri scanners and modern neuroscience and they, they have it down to the actual neural networks but network switching is expensive if you try to shift really quickly let me look at my email contacts back to my work contacts back to my email contacts back to my work contacts look at my phone look at social media same idea in this context you're switching your network back and forth much faster than it can actually keep up And it creates an an effect in your brain where you're basically foggy. You get frustrated. You get low energy. I think we all have that feeling of we keep checking our inbox while we're trying to do something important and our energy to work saps 
and then eventually just give up and like, well, let me just check my email. Our brain can't handle that, right? We, we are not meant to do that. We were not evolved to do that. So I don't care about multitasking. What cares? What I care about is these quick checks. That's what kills you. Even if you only have Microsoft Word open on your screen, you don't have notifications, you know, you don't have your inbox open at the same time. If you're still checking that inbox every six minutes, even if you're just glancing to see if a message comes back that you're waiting to see, you're devastating your productivity. It doesn't have to be open simultaneously. It is how long have you gone since the last time you switched context, even if briefly. That's the key metric for cognitive work. Well, that's just the first part of our interview tomorrow, a whole nother broadcast where instead of identifying the problem, Cal's going to talk about some solutions and that's fantastic. If you've got a financial question, an investment question, a tax question, anything with a dollar sign, send us an email, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. And if you are on our website, We've got lots of stuff there. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. We also have a contact button there. Don't forget to tell us if you'd like to come and join us on the program. Okay, so thanks so much for listening. Enjoy your first day of spring. Wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, and please put your hands metaphorically on someone else's back. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.